Ready to keep you company wherever you are. Card Blanche, the podcast, brings you immersive, hard-hitting stories anytime, anywhere, every week. Another week, another whole week wrap with Daily Maverick and Card Blanche. Here's what's coming your way today. Nothing to see here, folks. The Lady R report raises more questions. Why has Daily Maverick become the target of not one, but two cyber attacks? We can't claim that the Indian government or the Russian government has been attacking our website. But we can say that obviously there are people who were unhappy of certain stories that were written by Daily Maverick around international relations issues. Then the SANDF is left red-faced as classified info gets leaked. Later, Big Pharma bullies. We look at the recently released COVID-19 contracts. And some good news for 2,000 South African Rhino. Let's get into it. Welcome to your weekly serving of The Whole Week Wrap with Daily Maverick and Carte Blanche. I'm your host, Lizanne Janse van Rensburg. And joining us again is Daily Maverick political journalist, Queenan Maswabi. Queenan, it's lovely having you back. It's been a while. I'm just happy that it's warmer right now because the last time I think I spoke, it was extremely cold. It's lovely to have the sun out and spring in the air. I'm not complaining at all. Besides my sinuses, I'm happy to have warmer (laughs) weather. So I want us to get straight into the Lady R report. While the full report hasn't been made public, government was, shall I say, kind enough to give us a four-page executive summary on the findings. And in short, the report says there's nothing to see here. So could you walk us through the findings, limited as they are? Well, Lazan, I think my colleague Rebecca Davids actually puts it quite perfectly by saying the report presents more questions than answers. The main objective objective of this report was to find out whether assertions and allegations made by the U.S. Ambassador Ruben Brigetti was actually true. He said that South Africa had supplied weapons to Russia. And obviously, you know, it's caused a lot of geopolitical tension. And when you look at the summary itself, it disputes Ruben Brigetti's assertions about what he believes happened, what he said he was confident happened. And I think that first point has vindicated South Africa in some sense. But now there are more questions around the involvement of the UAE, Mm. because prior to the executive summary, we had no idea that they had any involvement in the shipment. Government said nothing about it. And now there are a lot of questions around why the UAE was involved. Involved and also around processes. They say the shipment was from AMSCO and it was supposed to be in our country in 2018, but could not be delivered because of COVID-19. And also the fact that the tracker on these cargoes was switched off at some point. And they say it's because of intelligence reasons. There is no documentation that actually shows that South Africa was due to receive any kind of shipment. So there are a lot of questions around 
around what was actually going on and what exactly was being delivered. Daily Maverick spoke to Darren Willifeed, who's kind of the expert on anything military and state security in the country. He also said that there's absolutely no reason why the cargo itself, what kind of cargo it was, why that should be deemed as classified. So it's very strange that they're trying to keep it under covers as much as they can. Obviously, the government is saying it's classified information, but it's just raising more and more suspicion. And I think, Lazanne, if government wants to clear its name completely and make sure that it has the confidence of South Africans then I think they should try to release more information so that we as journalists are able to go through it with a fine comb. And obviously, there are questions now around the ambassador's future, around whether he should be axed. What do you think should happen, Lazan? I agree with colleague Feril Hafiji's tweets that she put out last week, saying that the US officials must now come forward with hard evidence to back up their ambassador's claims if they want to kind of clear the air. But I honestly, I don't see that happening either. The ambassador is pretty safe for the time being, just purely because I don't think our government wants to stir the pot further with the US, considering we have the AGOA negotiations happening and there's a lot on the line with that. I think you're 100% right. I wrote a story around Durko feeling as if they have to maintain strong diplomatic ties and cordial ties with the US because there's quite a lot at stake. There should be an exceptional situation that prompts any government to expel an ambassador. And in this case, there's no need for Bridgeti to be expelled from South Africa or to apply pressure on the US to recall him. Durko believes that they've done enough on their part to actually ensure that ties are smoothed out and they believe it's water under the bridge and it's time to move on. Cyber attacks are on the rise globally, with everything from phishing scams to ransomware attacks leaving individuals and organizations crippled. In the last few weeks, Daily Maverick has suffered two separate attacks on their website. Queenan explains why their publication is getting hit. Then, a 2022 attack on the South African National Defense Force makes a devastating comeback, as well-known hacking group Snatch begins to share highly sensitive data online. So I want to take us to our next story. And this one hits a bit close to home for you guys. In the past week or so, I've had two very concerning Daily Maverick newsletters hit my inbox. Both spoke about concerted efforts to shut down the Daily Maverick website through what is called denial of service attacks or DDoS attacks. These denial of service attacks, the first one was traced back to Russia and the second one came from India of all places. So could you maybe tell us a little bit more about this? Lausanne, it's been such a turbulent relationship that Daily Maverick has had with, you know, embassies of both these countries. Over the past few months, covering BRICS has been a bit tricky and tough. Obviously, Russia is a country that deals with the media very differently from South Africa, which is a democracy and believes in free speech and allowing media to report on any events. What we've seen is that throughout the last couple of months, there's been a lot of dissatisfaction from Russia around our coverage of BRICS and other matters. I personally was taken to the ombudsman by the Russian embassy. They 
made a later complaint around an article that I wrote. They were unhappy with the headline, but were not really disputing any of the facts in the article itself. I was not the only one. There were other publications who were taken to the ombud. I can say with India, it started at the BRICS summit. And the issue was around an article my colleague Peter Fabricius wrote about the Prime Minister Modi. The issue was around him refusing to disembark an aircraft at Waterkloof because he was not being received by the president or deputy president. There was just a minister there to receive him. And it seems as if he was unhappy around it. Obviously, there was a lot of talk about how much pomp and ceremony there was when Chinese President Xi Jinping arrived in South Africa, almost as if, you know, the red carpet was rolled out for him and India feeling a bit sidelined mm. around that. So the attacks were blocking Indians particularly from viewing the article because the news had spread so fast and there was a lot of interest around BRICS, South African-based journalists. We would get a lot of clicks on our stories because we've been following the story closely and it was hosted in our country. We can't claim that the Indian government or the Russian government that's been attacking our website, mm -hmm. but we can say that obviously there are people who were unhappy of certain stories that were written by Daily Maverick around international relations issues. Just for the listeners who might not know what a DDoS attack is or denial of service attack, it's basically when so much traffic is coming in from one point and flooding your website servers. And it basically causes the whole website to either slow down or not work in its entirety. So the reason I'm asking about the attacks on Daily Maverick is also, firstly, it's crucial within the conversation of press freedom, but it also feeds into another story that Daily Maverick has been covering. And that is the cyber attack that happened in 2022 that left the South African National Defense Force exposed. This is after a hacking group calling itself Snatch was able to access sensitive information. And it seems that government didn't take them seriously because the group has now released about 200 terabytes of that information. And it includes personal contacts information of various high-ranking officials, including the president of South Africa, President Cyril Ramaphosa. In the Daily Maverick article, there was still a bit of contention around how legit this leak is, but it seems more things are pointing towards it actually being a genuine leak. I think the interesting part is that this hack was not done for ransomware. Hackers usually, they try to get money. This was more of a warning to our government. And they state that they took a couple of steps to inform government ministers. They tried to get a hold of so many people in government to say, guys, your software and your website has dismal security. And we were able to extract so much information about what is happening within the SANDF. Classified and secret information was found by these hackers. You know, I thought to myself, would I believe someone who calls or contacts me and says, I've hacked your website or your account? Mm. 
we get a lot of those, you know, you've been hacked, I have your password and your username kind of phishing emails. A simple Google search would have shown you that Snatch is indeed a well-known hacking group. So I don't know, did did government maybe do a basic Google search first? Because then that might have changed their tune about this whole hacking debacle. 100%, I think so. But again, I think as a minister, if somebody approaches you and says, I've, I've got your information or whatever, I'm sure they're inundated with such calls and a lot of craziness. So I think maybe they weren't taking it seriously, but it's completely concerning that Mm. so much information regarding our defense force is out there. It also shows that they didn't just access a single point or a single server. They managed to infiltrate all levels of the Defence Forces Network. So they have archived emails from various SANDF officials. As you've said, they have classified documents. They have very sensitive procurement orders. It seems to me that government is simply carrying on as usual. I don't think our government is prepared for these cyber attacks, that they don't necessarily have the skills or the infrastructure in place to prevent hacks like this from happening. I agree with you. And there's a complete rise of cybercrime. I think it's embarrassing, number one, and it's alarming as well um, Mm. to be in this position. It took just over a year for the Health Justice Initiative, or HJI, to get its hands on all COVID-19 vaccine contracts and any related agreements between the Department of Health and multiple pharmaceutical giants. The HJI described the agreements as one-sided and says pharmaceutical companies held South Africa to ransom. A case of desperate times calls for desperate measures or a brazen disregard for the African continent. So let's talk about the COVID-19 vaccine contracts that were recently made public. Firstly, I was surprised to see government cooperating in the first place. I remember I was speaking to your colleague Janet Hurd, and we both kind of expected protracted legal battles and delaying tactics and government delivered. So kudos to government for stepping up and actually handing over those contracts within the set 10 days. We can say kudos to government, but the information which was released is quite alarming. I think what I'm starting to understand is why our president a month or two ago was in Paris with French President Emmanuel Macron and he highlighted that if the world wants Africa to have a place or in in geopolitics, if Africa and the global south truly has a place, why is it that African countries had to beg for vaccines? Mm. And I think the information in the article really just emphasizes the fact that big pharmaceutical companies really did take advantage of countries like South Africa when it came to vaccines. We had to settle for whatever we received and we Mm. had to do it quickly at that. And the pressure that obviously our country was facing was quite tremendous. We are very vocal as citizens about what must happen and when it must happen. Obviously, our government had to deliver at the same time. So the Health Justice Initiative, or HJI, they were the ones who filed the application 
to have these contracts made public. They came out saying that the contracts between the Department of Health and several pharma giants amounted to what they call bullying and that the negotiations were one-sided. Could you maybe take us through some of the other key findings? When we talk about the unequal negotiations, we talk about the T's and C's um, that came with the vaccines that we acquired as a country. Number one, having to pay more than countries in the global north. The issue around conditions with South Africa, particularly with Pfizer, saying that if we were to export any vaccines, maybe donate to other countries, we would have to first go through them and get permission, which is very ridiculous because if they say no, it means that even if South Africa had extra vaccines and they wanted to donate to a neighboring country, they had a monopoly and power to say, no, you can't export at this point. Also, there were issues around how vague the policy was with J&J particularly. When they talk about the exports, there were no clear timeframes in which J&J was required to transport these vaccines, which put us in a very tough position because it meant that even if it is that we were waiting for two months for the vaccines, no one could be held accountable for it. We could not complain about it. Those terms and conditions were extremely unfair and the bias was clearly to the global north. And I mean, I don't think any of us are surprised at the pharmaceutical giant's approach in this regard, but it is unfortunate because you would think that during a global pandemic, everyone would be on the same side or on the same page. And unfortunately, that was clearly not the case. I think that's why African countries in the global south need to continue working on ways which exclude the global north so that when we are in crisis, we're able to stand on our own. John Hume had one goal, to save South Africa's rhino. But 30 years later, the former billionaire has run out of money. With 2,000 rhino and about 8,000 hectares of land on his hands, he had no option but to sell. Unfortunately, his April auction didn't go as planned, leaving the future of his rhino in the balance. Now, almost five months after the failed auction, local NGO African Parks stepped in to save them. So onto our green shoots, and this is quite a special story. There was a fantastic article on Daily Maverick detailing this last minute rescue of 2,000 privately owned rhino. They were originally put up for auction in April this year. The owner, a controversial but also praised rhino breeder, John Hume, he said that he put it up for bid online and not a single bid was placed on the day. But a Joburg-based NGO came to the rescue, which is amazing because I think a lot of the Times with these rhino stories, it tends to go a very negative way with poachers and their numbers being decimated. So it was lovely to see that 2,000 rhino are being saved. And the interesting part is that they say that 2,000 rhinos make up 15% of the total population of white rhinos. I think that is quite significant. We do know that they need to be protected at all costs. So it's a good thing that South African parks, they were able to acquire these rhinos to rewild the animals, which they say is a simple process. Well done on this NGO for just being willing to take on such a massive risk because, I mean, it is still having to protect these rhino, especially when they're out in the wild, is such a big task. So 
So really, well done to them. I'm so happy to have a feel-good rhino story for once. Any feel-good story right now in South Africa is needed. It's good to hear something good once in a while. Well, thank you so much, Queenan. This has been amazing as always. You've brought great insights into so many of these stories. So thank you very much. And I look forward to chatting to you again soon, hopefully before summer is over. <laughs> Definitely. And that's a wrap. In case you missed any of our previous chats with Daily Maverick, you can find them all on Carte Blanche, the podcast, available on Spotify and all major podcasting platforms. Mm-hmm.